Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Welcome back, beloved listeners. This is Octavia's Parables, our podcast uh, where we are reading. Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents, chapter by chapter, to learn everything we can. We are in Octavia's Parable of the Talents, chapter 19 this week, chapter 19. And, uh, well, first, do we have any announcements? Toshi Regan, my co-host, <laughs> do you have any announcements? Um, I'm, you know, listen to the music. It's out there. <laughs> yeah. It really is out it's there. It's out there. It really is out there. That's exciting. Um, I'm Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my first time recording our podcast from Durham, I think. Or maybe I recorded it from Durham last week. <laughs> I've lost track of all space and time. Um, so this is my first time with my but on the ground, kind of relaxed recording it. And there's a couple of little snips and, and bits that I've put out recently for different projects, one called New Constellations and another one this morning that's part of the Reframe project that focuses on our need to rejoice in this time mm-hmm. and reclaim this as a time for vision. So they're on my Instagram if you want to Give yourself a little dose of something hopeful and something vision-oriented in this time. And there's so much happening in the world right now. Um, one of the things that's happening in the world right now is the Octavia Tried to Tell Us series that Monica uh, Coleman and Tanana Redu are doing. Mm-hmm. And this coming week is Nalo Hopkinson is going to be the guest on that webinar. So if you haven't been following those webinars, they're available. You can watch them. You can participate in them. Um, We highly recommend them. They're friends of ours who are also in the deep dive. It's so good. I want to go back on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. There's more to say. (laughs) Y'all, we're ready ready to return. return. Um, (laughs) So yeah. So that's what's up with us. Um, And... I've been getting a lot of lovely messages this summer from people who are writing in their the journals that came with their holding change book. So that makes me very happy. Like I feel like a dream is coming true every time someone writes in one mm-hmm. of those journals. So that's all that's happening on my side of the pond, um, which is the same side of the pond as yours. Now, yeah. let's jump into chapter 19. Well, here we go. <laughs> all religions are ultimately cargo cults. Adherents perform required rituals, follow specific rules, and expect to be supernaturally gifted with desired rewards, long life, honor, wisdom, children, good health, wealth, victory over opponents, immortality after death, and desired rewards. Earthseed offers its own rewards, room, for small groups of people to begin new lives and new ways of life with new opportunities, new wealth, new concepts of wealth, new challenges to grow and to learn and to decide what to become. Earthseed is the dawning adulthood of the human species. It offers the only true immortality, 
It enables the seeds of the earth to become the seeds of new life, new communities on new earths. The destiny of earth seed is to take root amongst the stars and there again to grow, to learn, and to fly. Earth seed, mm-hmm. the books of the living. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I read that earlier today and I'm really happy to be reading it again. And uh, we are starting with Larkin. And Larkin is giving us a, a big view into her creativity. And um, that's what this, this, is, this time is about, is that we're actually seeing Larkin grow up. And what she is doing is, you know, kind of a fan fiction. <laughs> she is doing, she is creating her own uh, dream mask scenarios. And she started doing this. Um, and if you remember, her name is, is Asha, and she's named after the Black Dream Mask, Christian Dream Mask superhero. And, um, and mm-hmm. so she, she started to take that to, you know, into her own mind and create her own versions and her own communities and her own everything. And she was getting very, very good at this. She was doing this a lot. And um, she didn't actually have a Dream Mask, so she couldn't, like, do the emotional feeling type of stuff, but she was just building her own worlds and she started to share them with her classmates and eventually she gets caught and um, gets terrible punishment because these people just don't know how to do anything other than terribly punish children when they're not falling in line. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's you know, dealing with her punishment. They have to read all of these verses, memorize all of these Bible verses, these are kids. I just, you just can't say it enough. And they're just being called all kinds of things because they have imaginations. Yeah. And basically uh, this starts to get like a lot of the, the different people in the community to, to start to look at her in a different way. But at some point she had met an uh, older woman um, about 90 years old. And she was saying, that um, Ashavir was her, like Nancy Drew. And uh, some of y'all out there know who Nancy Drew was. And <laughs> I laughed when I read that because I was little. There was like a television show about Nancy Drew and the heart and the Hardy Boys. <laughs> yeah. So, I read all of those. You read books. all of them? I, I didn't. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is uh, very exciting to me because she really is. This is, I think, her journey out. This is her uh, beginning to see you know, more than what is, what is with her. She also imagined, wrote, wrote a story that had a lot of brothers and sisters and had a whole family. And she just, she imagined herself in different houses and, you know, remember that she's in Seattle and Seattle was a big place for the war, which is still happening, but not at the same level. And, but it still has the remnants of the war. So she was able to take herself on, on such a, a big, and beautiful journey. Um, and she says that it was really harmless and it was nonsense, but, but she, uh, she just really got over punished for everything. Then kids started to really treat her badly. She got all of this, this language around her where she went to church, people said things about her. And uh, she brings up an incident where someone says something, you know, out loud about her. And she actually says, God is love. And, uh, she quoted in a sweet voice, love is the fulfilling of the law. So she tries to, to defend herself 
but it is, it is not a good look. And eventually, eventually what starts to come up is people saying these rumors that she was adopted and that her mother was a heathen Mm -hmm. and that she comes from the community of heathens. And that is when she starts to realize these awful people are not my parents. Yes. (laughs) This is not, this is not where I belong. These people are Mm -hmm. not my people. Nobody gave birth to me in this house. And, you know, and she starts to be like, wait a minute, what's going on? And so she is still with them. She still has this horrible, sexually abusive, predatory um, father. And at this point, she has it out with her parents. Like, okay, y'all adopted me. You never told me that was a situation. And at that point, the dad starts to kind of talk to her like he's making a deal with her. Okay, yeah. You know, girl, like I let you live here and I protected you from your mom was trying to kill you. So like you need to let me have what I want. And I I just wrote Larkin is in hell. Like you just <laughs> yeah. you could just understand everything that she was trying to navigate. And she she uh, ends up taking it to a place where she's she's having a fight and she beats this girl up and then, and then she gets kicked out of school all kinds of things happen to her. So she, she is in a really rough situation. She's about 15 years old. This epic realization happens to her. She is on her own. She doesn't have support of family. And in fact, both of her, her parents are just violently mean to her. She says uh, at 15, I couldn't wait to get out of the house and away from both of them for good. And I can't wait either. Like, <laughs> like, like I'm just like staying in the moment with her and I can't wait. So here we are in the journals yeah. of Lauren Oya Olamina, Thursday, June 7, 2035. And Lauren is back at Georgetown and she is um, hanging out with Allie and she's needing to just basically recuperate her energy and get grounded and reset. And Allie is very concerned about her and is just like, you look too old. Like, you look very, very old. Um, And at this point, I don't think Lauren's 30 years old yet. I mean, she just, she's kind of, she's kind of toe up. And Lauren and her have a very deep conversation is basically Allie trying to get Lauren to like, really, I think, take a deep breath and accept that maybe her daughter is dead. She won't reach her daughter. Allie shares about her experience when um, her father, her own father killed her, her baby son. And just kind of the idea of like, you know, letting go of, you know, this journey, she's being gentle, but she's also just seeing her friend being really, really, really struggling. And so she wants to plant a seed in her mind like that. It would be okay for her to live her life. And she's, she's saying you have a life and, you know, why don't you get there? Mm. Um, we get a little update on Allie, who is doing very well. Allie is like super talented and is repairing things. And she's doing some reading and some writing. And she repairs toys for kids for free. And Justin, mm. she's a little concerned about because Justin is is hanging out with a group of kids that often go and steal from people. And, she, you know, she's not saying he's doing that, but she's keeping an eye on it. So this is all going on. And of course, Lauren is like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to leave again. 
and is not taking, you know, Ali's uh, suggestion. So on Sunday, June 10th, 2035, um, as she's getting ready to set up, set out, you know, Allie has basically sent, sent her a person and said, you know, yes, said this person needs to go with you. So she sends out this person. She's kind of given the person the, the like, can you do this? Can you do that? You know, what do you have? All this stuff. Uh, the person's name is Balin Rose, Ross, Balin Ross, and goes by the name of Lynn. And um, about 19 years old and says uh, she can shoot. She's like very, very thin, doesn't look super strong, but says she has a good shot. And she's kind of given a lot of bravado. And um, and at some point they have a they have a lot of conversation. I just want to say to our listeners, there's there's a beautiful kind of like back and forth where you really get to pick up on a lot of information about this person. And and also the way that Lauren um, has of of asking people questions where they reveal probably more than what they want to reveal. And one of the things that Lynn reveals is that she's a sharer. And when Lauren uh-huh. says, you're a sharer, she gets very, very shocked and she kind of runs away. <laughs> she just gets yeah. up and leaves the room. Yep. And what she knows from her is that, you know, Lynn had been um, rich. She came from this very wealthy family and the family, she was born through a surrogate and the family then had um, the mother carried a son. And as soon as that happened at this point, like what we're thinking is the son just became the star child because, you know, the son was was born from the mom and that Lynn kind of was pushed aside Mm. because one, she was surrogate, but two, she was a sharer. And so they treated her very badly. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually, Lynn gets abducted by these people and her family didn't pay the ransom. So she ends up in a very abusive situation and she has to save herself by basically, you know, throwing up all over the place and, and getting the, the, her captors to think mm-hmm. that she's very, very, very sick. And so they let her go. But that is that is her life mm-hmm. and that is her, how her life started out um, on the road. And so you have, you know, Lauren, who's, who literally seems to be like 105. And this young, young yep. person. And then they're going through the, the whole things that you go through when you go to travel with Lauren Olamina. She wants to know, do you have your supplies? Do you have what you need to get together on the road? And of course, she doesn't have anything and anything she does have. She she Lynn has stolen. And so Lauren is like, all right, we have to get you stuff, you know, because I'm not going to get on the road. Yeah. Um, we're going to be walking a lot and you're going to need food. Lynn doesn't have any food. So she was going to start this trip with like no food. And Lauren's like, that's not even acceptable. Wow. So very much like when she started the trip with um, Harry and Zara, she is like, they all went to the Hanning Joe's together, whether they had money or not. Yeah. Everybody had to have, you know, pretty much the same thing to Basics. get, to get to yeah. travel together and to get to do things. And then they, they plot their directions. They, they pick the highways. Um, they make decisions about, you know, big town. They meet. Oh, she goes and hangs out with these people very much like she did with Keith back in the day, feeding him the rabbit stew and asking him questions about the outside world. She takes a few mm-hmm. guys out for drinks and I'm sure she's in her, her man drag and she takes a few guys out for drinks and she says, you know, finds out what towns are good and what places aren't and where should you go and how should you be? 
and she gets um she gets a lot of information and uh her and Lynn uh start to to like basically get out on the road there's this one thing they're they're talking the whole time and um you're getting to know a lot about Lynn and I remember when I first read this I was like why do we have to learn so much about this person <laughs> you know, like, cause it's really late in the book and, uh-huh. and, and, you know, I'm like, Who yes. is this? you know, Lynn, why we got to know about her, but as we're, as, as, <laughs> as we're learning about her, her parents, um, they were the ones that were the, um, parasecco addicts. And so that's why she's a sharer. Yeah. And, um, I love this line. People blame you for the things they do to you. And I was like, that is mm. just such a significant line that's happening in all of this, especially in Jared's world, especially in our world. It's just systemic, like wrongdoing to people and then blaming them for what you're doing as if you weren't there doing it. Um, so this is mm-hmm. this is a really great conversation. They're getting in deep and they walk in the road and Lauren is teaching. They're having like a good conversation about like, where do you go and how do you do it? And one of the reasons why Lauren is able to really insist on this supply thing is she's like, no, we're going to be walking for a month. Like we are going to do this traveling for a month. We're not just running away. We're not just escaping for our lives. There's a level of intentionality in our journey and therefore we will be prepared for it. Uh, This is also wonderful. You know, it, it is really, really cool. And you know, the girl kind of snaps back and says, you enjoy telling people what to do, don't you? And Lauren says, I like living <laughs> and I like being free. <laughs> and you and I, to see mm-hmm. all, all all that is there was to be seen. So she watched her like really, really start to get a level of respect for Lauren. But still, the beautiful thing really early in this chapter about this about this relationship is that, you know, it's not like Lauren's like 40 years older than her, but Lauren's experience and Lauren's like journeying since she started so young, she's got so many years on this person, but this person is smart and ask, ask question and it is not afraid to push back. And this, this is awesome. So Lauren um, hands her a book because she can read and she loves to read. And of course it is one of the um, Earthseed books. And she has two copies and she Mm. lets her keep one and they make decisions about which directions they're going in the road and things like that. And they're stopping and they're reading and Earthsea really comes up. And um, Lynn says, Allie, uh, told me you wrote a book about something called Earthsea. Is that your real name? Lauren Oya Olamina. And, um, Uh and so that this, it just goes on like this. This is actually really wonderful. It's wonderful to see the, see this kind of conversation. It really reminds me of early in Stower when she's talking to, to you know Harry and the TV dad and you know the Douglases and really trying to say what her vision is again. And so this this person, yes. um, yeah, this person starts to kind of wake her up, kind of stir you know stir Earthseed into uh, a forward place in a way that that it hasn't been in a little bit they're going to take a day off they're in Reading, and they kind of get you know clean Lawrence says it's really much easier when you don't smell 
<laughs> it's like the understatement. <laughs> <laughs> just basics. Yeah, just just basics. basics. She's um, able to like, you know, they're able to make a beautiful stew and get some great ingredients. And she mentions cheddar cheese, some really beautiful cheddar cheese. Mm. And so there's, they get to, and we get to learn more about Lynn's family and kind of what her home life is. And basically Lynn's mom locks herself into this section of the house and then is just in a dream mask world all the time. And apparently she became, she's like addicted to him. So at first it was like one day and then it's a week and then she just stays. That's where she lives. She has her own bathroom and then they all bring her food. And then Lynn is kind of treated like another servant. It's, it's not a good life for her. And we get to hear more about that and that she just has unresponsive, very, very um, selfish family. And one of the beautiful things that start to happen is Lynn actually is absorbing this, um, this, this book. And she's like, if God has changed, then, then who loves us? Who cares about us? Who cares for us? And Lauren is like, we care Mm. for one another. We care for ourselves and one another. And then she quotes, kindness eases change, love quiets fear. And then she says, yeah, I Mm. like that. And then, uh, Lynn finishes and a sweet and powerful positive obsession blunts pain, diverts rage and engages each of us in the greatest, the most intense of our chosen struggles. Lynn says, though, I have no obsession, positive or otherwise. I have nothing. And, you know, Lynn's family moved to Alaska. Mm -hmm. And so Lynn is on this journey to go and find her family in Alaska. So Lauren says, hey, Maybe it's Alaska, but Lynn says, I don't, I just actually don't, she doesn't have any place else to go. You know, Lauren's like, if you get there, like, what will you do? Will you go back to being your, your parents' housekeeper? And they go back, you know, back and forth Mm. about this. And she said that she, that her mom was committing a kind of suicide. Like she wasn't out to kill herself, but she was, she was doing all of these things. And then she's realizing like her parents left her to abductors and she, And so maybe she wants to reconsider this, like, go find her people situation, you know, so she's thinking about it. I'm going to the border can be really hard to Alaska because of the war. And Alaska is no longer in a part of the United States. So she is Lauren is like, I don't know if I can let her do that. Um, I think she wants to be stopped. And I must think about what she can do for Earthseed and what it can do for her. And I wrote at the bottom of this earth seed mm-hmm. rising and that is chapter 19. And when, yeah. you know, I skipped a lot because it is, mm. it is <laughs> okay. You need <laughs> to read this book, book but this, there's, there's a yes. lot going on. It's almost like a new mini, you know, a mini book inside of a book. So you have to check out chapter 19. Yeah. Oh, Toshi, thank you for that. Thanks for picking the best bits Mm -hmm. off the bone there. Um, You know, I feel like I always get a little, what is this tenderness? I'm trying to think of what to call this tenderness, if it's nostalgia or scarcity tenderness or something, but something starts to happen in these chapters because I know Mm -hmm. that we're close to the end of what was published in this storyline. And Lynn is one of these people that I'm like, oh, mm mm-hmm. There's like these people that I'm like, I think Octavia was planting the seeds for something 
<laughs> so some so yeah. much more here. So I have some questions inside my tenderness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so one is, you know, I love that the this chapter begins with that articulation once again around what Earthseed is meant to do for humans, which is to help us reach our adulthood as a species. And my first question is, do you believe that humans are an adult, fully formed species? And if not, where do you feel that we are on our arc of adulthood or growing up? You know, sometimes I know that I feel we're crawling <laughs> babies. Sometimes I think we're in our adolescence. But I'm curious, you know, if you hear this, especially if you have other belief systems that you lean on, you know, where would you see humans in our existence? Yeah. And then learning about Larkin, Asha, and we start to make this shift into Asha. The question that occurs to me, I'm really looking at them and I'm like, you know, we've seen, we've been deeply steeped in Lauren's world building practice, mm -hmm. right? That she's building earth seeds. She has a vision of a world beyond the one that she was raised in from the time that she was very young. So we know this was happening for her very young. As it happened for Octavia, her world building practice as a writer and a thinker and a sci-fi um, creator started very young. And now we see this happening for Asha as well, that she's her imagination has kicked in and she's starting to do her world building. And the question I have for our listeners is, how do you do world building? Mm. And do you remember when that began for you? How young were you when you started to either imagine or organize or vision or even critique? You know, sometimes we build the world by deconstructing what's there. And, you know, that Larkin Asha way is imagination, really letting your imagination let loose and telling stories and building a world through that. Mm -hmm. um, but Lauren's way, which is seeing a new way of being for humans and beginning to organize the small experiments to practice that, that's another way of world building. And there's yet other ways. So really find your place in that world building technology. What do you do? And Toshi, I'm curious, do you remember when you started world building? Was there a before? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was like really little. I was really little. My mom says that um, I used to come home from school and be just like, you know, we need a revolution because these people are not treating us right. I was like in elementary school. And then I would just come home and put my books down. I'd just be like, mom, you know, this is the like, And then people, anybody else in the house would be looking at my mom and being like, you know, you just listen to her. Like, mm -hmm. and then my mom was like, but she's right. Yeah. <laughs> like she's like, well, she's like, she's right. Like, why wouldn't I let her say everything she needs to say about a wrong situation? I want to stand by her. I love my mother. Uh, she wouldn't want to stand mm -hmm. by her. Yeah. And then that's also the, you know, I knew pretty much um, around 12 or 13, I was going to be a musician because I wasn't going to be my first dream of a, you know, athlete. So that's when that started. It started right away. And, um, and then mm -hmm. here we are. Yeah, I similarly, like, I started very young. I was writing stories from a very, very, very young age. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and writing analysis and trying to understand what was happening in my life, you know, building a narrative of every time we were moving, you know, we were a military family. So it was like moving and in each new place, like what is the narrative of my life and how does this place fit into it? You know, if I was supposed to be a singer, Mm -hmm. then how is this place that had no choir going to fit into that narrative (laughs) and so on and so forth? Like it's how I overcame challenges and I spent a lot of time in my room with music playing and music was, would be the like soundtrack of the Mm -hmm. pretend and the world building and like what I was creating. Um, And I just have such positive memories of all that imagination time um, that started very young. And it's something that I pay attention to now in the children in my life Mm. is making sure that they have time alone to imagine, like alone without devices necessarily to just be in their imaginations because there's so much given to kids. There's so much given to all of us now to fill up the imaginal space. And I feel like it's so important for what we're actually meant to be doing. I think it's so important to give ourselves that clear space in which creation can happen and which we can make meaning of things ourselves. So spend some time there, spend some time with that. Um, and then we see this for for Asha. Um, and again, there's so much echo chambering happening between Lauren's childhood and Asha's childhood. And it just shows up in different ways. But this punitive nature, like punishing children for thinking outside the box or doing things they're not supposed to do, mm-hmm. shows up here. And so my question to you is whether you have children or are part of a community in which children are being raised or whether that they're far off, but you're just thinking about this. What are alternatives to punishment for children? What are alternatives to punishment for children? And how would society have to change in order to become a space where the experience kids were having was not a punitive experience? Mm-hmm. That is so powerful. Mm-hmm. I, I recently collaborated with the school community and they told me about a, a journey of a young person who just was constantly in struggle in the school systems. And part of it started with this person's understanding, such clear understanding of who he was and what belonged to him. And it was like, he had yes. something and they didn't think he should have it at school. It was not anything. It was not a violent or anything. It was something that belonged to him yeah. and yep. they took it away from him and he got really upset about it. And I was like, but why did they take that? Like it was a thousand other things that could happen. And the way he expressed being upset got him into more trouble. And it was just like an, uh, it, it started a, a cycle yeah. of, you know, and I was just like, really y'all with y'all heavy handed punishment. Like, have, did you take a minute yeah. to think about like, at the end of the day, does this make any sense to you? You know, like. That's right. You know, that's right. I mean, there's so much control control pattern and control power dynamic in terms of how we orient towards children as opposed to like I'm responsible for keeping you safe and Mm -hmm. also for partnering with you in how you live you know how you understand life and just what you just described is how your mom used to sit and listen with you I think we have that in common my mom used to just sit and listen to me Mm -hmm. and you know as I was figuring stuff out and at a certain point I remember that she started to listen to me and be learning. You know, she'd be like, oh, I didn't Mm -hmm. know that or I don't know that. And 
that this feels new or this is interesting. Let's learn this together. You know, my mom has always been like, I'm willing to go read the books and, and be human with you, you know, um, which is such a different orientation to kids than, you know, you are something that I need to control into the mold that society will accept, which again, is tied to these larger systemic issues of safety, you know? So that's why it's like, it's not just what as, as individual or, or, or groups of parents need to do, but it's also like, and then what, what needs to shift systemically so that we can raise children to be free, you know? Yeah. I can't stop thinking about, I, I had this, uh, like webinar experience a while ago where this mother came on and she was talking about how she's trying to raise her child free to be free and how at odds that is with being able to raise her child to be safe mm. in this current environment. Mm. And she was crying. I think everyone who was watching was crying. We were all just like, yeah, the truth is we cannot keep our children safe. You know, we actually can't. So their freedom is the best thing we can give them. And how do we do Ooh. that? But, oof, it, you know, it comes back to me when I read this. It comes back to me when I read so much of Octavia's work. And, and mm -hmm. it's just this question over and over again of, like, if the control starts at childhood, if you start to learn to be controlled and figure out how you relate to that in childhood, how do you create a free society? How do you create a, a mm. body of adults who are free to move against injustice? Yeah. So that's such a, yeah. I mean, that also really makes me, Big bucket. yeah, it makes me think about, you know, what's, what happened with um, Naomi Osaka and also the, the, the women in the Olympics. Like those are all oh, like yes. young athletes. They all started very, very young and yeah. they're all <laughs> getting so severely. I mean, Naomi's not getting punished in this like, well, yeah, she is. She is, you know, she, yeah. she, you know, she has the agency and the, you know, she didn't have to follow through with playing any of these matches and she doesn't have to work. Yeah. If she's a good with, you know, her currency and her life, she doesn't, you know, have to do anything that she doesn't want to. But the idea that when they came, they all backed off of it, kind of tried to act like they were in support of her, but their first reaction was like to try to kill her. And Absolutely. They're like, you belong, you to, belong us to us. We'll be where we want you to be. And you're going to do what mm -hmm. we tell you to do. And then I was like, but isn't this even like a terrible situation for anybody to be in? Like why, you know, in this day and age <laughs> when there's so much information, like, why are we still doing this? And, um, and yes. there's the two women on the American team, I uh, go back to the girls, um, who suffered under, uh, th this yeah. diabolical doctor that was incredibly protected incredibly yes. protected and it's like you know when the the sister who was basically has lost her career you know has yes. lost her career over like not being available for one drug test when she she you got to read this story but like she's she has five years mm. so she's missing this olympics she's missing the next one and she misses yeah. the child that she made the decision not to have so she could compete in the Olympics that were supposed to be in 2020. And then they have gotten moved. Exactly. So it, it's a lot of epic pain that, you know, somebody is just comfortably laying down. Um, it's yes. really this whole punishment thing is so deep. It's, yeah. And it's so, it's so tied into our ideas of what is appropriate behavior and how, how someone can, do what we want them to do 
be the body that we want them to be, come to heal. And if you can't, then we won't allow you to be anything else. And I do think, I do think we're at the end mm-hmm. of those cycles. It, a lot of those cycles, it's like they're in a dying off phase, but yeah. not dead yet. And, you know, I think I had this thought, you know, as we're recording this, we're in this week where, you know, Shakari is not being allowed to go to the Olympics, but Nicole Hannah-Jones just did this powerful pivot move where she got, you know, UNC tried to play games and she said, we're going to find out, right? (laughs) And um, what I love is that she was able to come back and say, actually, you know, they finally came around and were like, okay, 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 we will offer you tenure and with this position, which everyone else has always had tenure for. And she was like, actually, I decline your offer. Healing y'all is not my my job. And I'm going to go over to Howard and just be in this space. And there's layers and layers and layers to this that, um, you know, friends in the academic world were unpacking for me and all of that. But what I loved about it was, to me, I was just like, okay, how do we find the equivalent of that Nicole Hannah-Jones move for Shakari, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, how do we keep creating the spaces of our own or understanding which spaces are our own where we don't have to put up with the bullshit. And we say, actually all the stuff that y'all are messing with you, you're, you're focused on the wrong things and we're going to create this other space. And so I'm like, I think we should do like a Juneteenth 2021 games yeah, where it's just like our folks can come and, you know, they can run high if they need to run high. They can do whatever they need to do, you know, like Mm -hmm. just, just setting down the judgment, the, you know, the judgment around these things and but allowing people to just be the badasses that they are on their own terms. Um, and it, you know, it, to me, the adults who stand in their power, both the way that she carried it, like I am a human when my mother dies, I am going, this is, yeah. this is a human response to That's that. Right. That is one strength move. And I think the Nicole Hannah Jones of being able to reject those people who can barely tolerate your existence or try to reject it is another one. Those are good for our children to see. They are. Right? That it's like you shall not be you shall not be you shall not bow down and give away your dignity in the face of people who don't deserve to punish you trying to punish you. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um weird. Yeah. Yes to all of that. All of that. So in this in this chapter, you know, I think we've started to see more and more of what Larkin was living through that led to all the rage that she had when we first met her. Mm. And, um, you know, we start off by seeing her rage directed at Lauren and at Ursid. But now that you've seen what Larkin slash Asha has lived through, has gone through the pain, the rejection, the bullying, yep. the sexual assaults, the all the different components of it, who do you map out as as who is deserving of that anger mm. and that rage that she's feeling, right? Uh, do you see how all of that has been directed and, and misdirected? And like, I feel like this happens so often where I'm like, you have every right to be angry. And if we could target it <laughs> appropriately, it could be a really powerful resource, you know? Yeah. And then- I love that you highlighted that moment where Allie is basically like, Lauren, you're, you're aging, you know, like this is, (laughs) you look too old, old. right? You look too old. And I'm like, I know that we, we know we all go through these moments where we're like, Hey, (laughs) something's happening. Like I, I think of, I always think of the Obama effect, um, like how quickly he went gray in 
all the color got sucked out of him over the course of those eight years. And, um, so my question for our listeners is what experiences, uh, in your life, if you look back, can you track, have aged you? Which experiences in your life have aged you? And bonus round, are there experiences in your life that have returned years to you? Mm. You know, experiences of joy, connection, togetherness, reclamation, healing, right? Um, So what experiences in your life have aged you and how are you reclaiming your time? Mm. That's a great question. I like Mm. that. Yeah, I've been reading about Ayurveda. <laughs> so I'm all like, if we're fundamentally healthy, then we must be able to restore and reclaim and return that health to the body. So that doesn't mean suffering goes away. Yeah. So then these questions, as as we're watching now Lauren interacting with uh, Len, I really appreciate that we're returned to some of the most basic questions of the parables that we these cycle through. Do you know what you need to know in order to travel by foot, mm-hmm. in order to travel far, and in order to travel with everything you need on your person? Right? Have you learned it over the course of this reading with us? You know, <laughs> have you started to practice it? Do you have your bag ready? Right? Do you know? And do you know how to gather information from strangers? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you know how to sit down and have a conversation where you learn? what you need to know in order to to make the next moves. And I want to highlight here, I just finished reading this series of books by Barbara Neely um, called the Blanche White series. <laughs> and Blanche White is a black domestic worker who is also a murder mystery. <laughs> so, you know, like she's just a murder mystery hero. I highly recommend these, but one of the most brilliant parts of it is how she talks about using her blackness and her class status as these ways that she is able to access tons of information. Um, Because she's like, people have no idea what black people see. They don't know what domestic workers see. They just, they, (laughs) they, they think because they're not paying attention to us, we're not paying attention to them. And she's able to solve so much because of that. But I think of the Octavia character, I think of Lauren being able to slip into this space where it's like I can get as much information as I need uh, by sitting on the edges of the space and by not being what you expect me to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The way that Octavia writes Lynn's family, the wealthy family, is similar to how she writes all the other wealthy families in this book. Yeah. <laughs> and so I want to make sure people highlight what would you say or what do you understand to be Octavia's orientation towards wealth? based on how she's writing these wealthy families. You know, we have wealthy families who repeatedly leave people behind. We have wealthy families who repeatedly don't keep their own safe, who put themselves in gated communities, who are not concerned with the collective well-being uh, of others. And in this case, who are getting lost in disassociation of various sorts. And what does that all add up to, you know? As a as an analysis of class, mm. mm-hmm. yeah, she she even the um, what's the Neuers that like you know ones that sold their houses and it made exactly. the you know they made they the made super, the super, super uh, yeah truck. and she's kind of <laughs> like yeah but they couldn't do the basics 
And then that's why they got got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, does she like any exactly. people? I'm just <laughs> No. She doesn't like rich people who who stay committed to their wealth. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, you know, if you can learn to be human again. But yeah. I always think of that. She sees wealth as a dehumanizing thing. And mm-hmm. I I very much align with that, you know, like that it's not even personal. You know, it's like if you have extreme wealth, you have to work hard to stay tied into humanity. Yeah. Um, to figure out a way back to it. But yeah, I'm like, there's a class analysis there that feels pretty ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so then, you know, the the mother, Lynn's mother, was addicted to virtual reality. And I think of this as almost any addiction, you know, where people are like, oh, you know, I can't believe or it seems far away. But I want to ask people to sit in the question, have you ever experienced moments in your life or periods in your life where something like a virtual reality addiction felt possible, mm-hmm. right? Where you could imagine that being able to slip into virtual reality would be better than the circumstances you were actually living with um, and what made that the case. And if that's like, oh, no, I could never, mm. then think about your social media use, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I think of that as a, a virtual world that a lot of people get addicted to and cannot um, give up the projection of themselves that they're putting into that space and the projection of society that's being co-created in that space. Where do you think social media, your own social media use and maybe addiction could fit into that? So just yeah, some reflection there. I'm like addicted to Duolingo. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my daughter like, says. She's like, I do speak like, Spanish. You are addicted to Duolingo. <laughs> you do it every day? I do it every day. At least 15 minutes a day. Are you doing more than one language? No, I, 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 I looked and explored to try to find where I thought I could, could be the most successful, you know? And yeah. so I, so I explored and then I, I, I've stayed the course. So, Beautiful. but my daughter's always like, that's but great. I do it when I have time. So sometimes that's first thing in the morning and then she just hears the Exactly. The little thing. Ba-ding. Exactly. <laughs> She's laughing at me. No, it's so good because I um, I took a break from Duolingo for the summer to do this move mm-hmm. because I found that I was getting so stressed <laughs> that I was like, I have to get this in. And oh, no. Some days it was really like, you can't, baby. <laughs> so um, I took a break okay. to give myself like okay, any, no, nothing required beyond moving. Yeah. Um, but now I think I want to get back. I lo- It's such a satisfying feeling to me to just be like, there. Yeah. Just 15 minutes. But there you go. <laughs> Let me get that. Um, but, you know, I think that there's so many, I think that there's so much open addictive behavior with social media. I know a lot of people who got into virtual reality this past year during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And like, I definitely look back now and I think that I'm one of the people who underestimated the impact that the internet and social media would have, the negative impact that it would have on society, on connection, on mm-hmm. movement building, on like structures of, of relationship. And so I want to not have that same like, mm, underestimation of virtual reality as it's growing, you know, that I'm like, just because it's not easily accessible to everyone yet, doesn't mean it won't be soon. And, um, and it's another space where it's like, what happens in that space can really change what your life is like outside of that space. So how to navigate it. 
Yeah. Um, not yeah. to mention that, you know, this, it don't belong to us. So like, not only does it not Once belong of, uh, to us at all, like does not belong to us, not but it, it captures content. And then there's, um, all your information is out there. And then the whole like ransomware thing, lots of people are getting attacked and being like, you know, there's a the big cases of like, Oh, give us $70 million. These systems are not going to work, but we're all in those systems. Yes. So, you know, you know, write down, yep. write down where folk live and <laughs> like, yeah, and like stores closing because they can't use a computer. So, therefore, people can't. Like, it's a, it takes all of that is just a very, you know, delicate, yeah, delicate, delicate field. I have one last question and then we're done. And it's is there any greater gift you can give another than helping them find their purpose, supporting them to find their purpose? And Mm -hmm. I hear the, you know, the kernels of it beginning with Lynn, where it's just like, you know, chasing after some people who never wanted you and did not save you. That's not purpose. That's not life. Mm -hmm. And that, this idea of what are the small, the micro suicide missions, you know, that she's naming, like, she's like, this person is basically on a suicide mission. Like, I'm going to try to get to Alaska. I know I can't really, I know I don't have what I need. I don't have the food. I don't have the skills, but I'm going to go. And it's just like how to help someone find purpose when they're in that place where they're like, I could just slip away and no one would know or notice. And you say, you know, I, when you begin to be someone who would notice the gift of that. And then when you begin to say, there's actually, I think something for you Mm -hmm. if you want it, if you're interested. So once again, Lauren doing the thing. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that is our show. Yeah. That is chapter 19. Octavia's parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and myself, Adrian Marie Brown. We're produced by Kat Aaron. And our show art is by Krista Franklin. And the music for Octavia's Parable is Always See the Stars, written and performed by Toshi Regan. And God Has Changed, written by Toshi Regan, performed by Toshi Regan and Bernice Johnson Regan. And you can find us on Twitter at O Parables. And you can help us sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash O Parables. And as always, you can visit readingoctavia.com for the transcripts of this show. And we will see you next week. Next week, y'all. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is all that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change.